Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? The podcast that if you don't like us, you're clearly just not smart enough to understand. <laughs> Today, we're reviewing Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which has been hotly debated both for the movie itself and the manner of its release and just everything surrounding it uh, during COVID. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to, once again, especially as we roll into holiday season, Actually, Christmas is going to be over by the time this comes out. If you're getting New Year's gifts for anybody, uh, once again, support local artists, uh, support uh, trans, black, indigenous artists, as well as um, support trans, black, and indigenous organizations near you, uh, in your area. As we roll into 2021, that kind of stuff is going to continue to be super important. But with that, what have you guys been watching this week? Oh, I'll start. Uh, last night was a big night in our household. Um, as let me bring up because I want to make sure I get the title officially right. Uh, last night on Netflix was the release of Ariana Grande. Excuse me. I love you movie. <laughs> oh, her, wow. her tour documentary released on Netflix five out of five. Um, I think Caitlin is actually watching it right now again. Um, and special in our house because that is the concert that we both went to. I went to in Houston. She went to it in St. Louis, I believe. She was in the front row, and I was in the back. No <laughs> one sitting behind me. So, <laughs> who had it better? Well, I like to think that she. Who's you to know, say? You know, normally artists sing to the back of the stadium because they don't like making eye contact. So chances are, she was singing to me, not Caitlin. <laughs> so, you know, who's to say? Um. Also watched another Netflix release, uh, Ava. Oh! With uh, Jessica Chastain, John Malkovich, Colin Farrell. Super boring. <laughs> uh, oh. Extremely monotone plot. Um, but, I mean, not bad for a Netflix movie you turn on at like 8.30 at night when you were looking for another show and you're like, oh, this came out. Let's turn this on. Um, let's see. Other than that, we've been watching, we started Arrow over. We just finished the first season. Uh, and me personally, I have... Is that the, wait, is that the one with the arrows? Yeah, they're green. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, God. <laughs> and then, uh, me personally, I have started the original Mobile Suit Gundam from 1979. Ooh, hell Ooh. yes. It's so good. Yeah. Having a mecky Christmas. <laughs> Can't wait to make the kids sit down and watch Evangelion. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, um, I have been watching some Evangelion. Um, I have been saying that for months. Um, I think I'm on episode nine now. <laughs> that that middle stint slows down. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is that there there's TV that I sit down to watch, and there's TV that I like also have on in the background while I'm like on my phone or doing something and i like evangelion if you're going to listen to the sub like you have to be watching in order to mm -hmm. catch up with it and so i have decided to switch over to the dub so oh, that no. i can and switch back and forth i know the italians know. <laughs> it, the voices are worse absolutely but it is easier for me to like follow along with what's going on in the story which i know like probably breaks a bunch of anime watching rules but now, in order to watch anime the way that works best for you, I just say that about Evangelion because its dub on Netflix is like a notably bad dub right. in anime. Gotcha. Well, Ty keeps sending me all these memes that are predicated on me seeing the entire series, and I'm like, stop doing this until mostly I can it's see just the whole so series. that I, like I am starved for somebody to talk about Evangelion with. <laughs> I deleted well, Twitter, and now I can't tweet at Vargas about Cruel Angel's <laughs> thesis anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, the other thing I watched this week, um, I had started it and then I, I went back and just restarted and, and finished it. I watched uh, Michael Mann's 1981 Thief, um, which is my equivalent of Manhunter for Ty in that I fucking love it. Um, Tuesday Weld is fantastic in it um, as the wife. Um, Jim Belushi is like a computer whiz that helps them crack oh, the safes. Hell yeah. Um, and Dennis Farina is a henchman in there for like a minute. <laughs> yes, I'm sold. I still have to watch Thief, and now I'm bumping it way up my list. <laughs> he shows up right at the very end, and you're like, is that Dennis Farina? <laughs> uh, 
so even just for the cameo. No, it's really good. I'm obviously like a huge sucker for heist movies. I know they're dumb. I know their plots are rote. Doesn't matter to me. I fucking love them. I'll watch any heist movie anytime. Even a bad heist movie is worth it for me. Um, so anyways, it's it's very 80s Michael Mann, super stylized. And instead of a lot of synth, it's a lot of electric guitar. Ooh, um, it, Tangerine so, Dream did that score, right? Uh, I think so. Um, so it feels very like... It feels like the musical brainchild of Manhunter and like Lethal Weapon. Like all these like wrists, oh, wow. like wah, like um, in the background, and then it's it's in L.A., but everybody, all the cops have Chicago accents, <laughs> <laughs> and I have never, I have no idea why. Um, but it's that's just part of policing. <laughs> it's on HBO. You should definitely give it a watch. I have it on VHS. I still just haven't cracked it open yet. <laughs> all right, so how about you? What have you been watching? So I have been watching nothing but. Tenet. Well, okay, I did watch uh, Mandalorian in this time, but uh, only movie I've watched is Tenet. Otherwise, I've just been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is absolutely phenomenal. I can't remember if I talked about it last time, but I love it. I was holding off because I'm still on an Xbox One X. I didn't know if I wanted it now or wanted it for next gen. Completely worth it. Bugs are pretty minimal other than their christmas update which uh ruined everything but oh shit let's get yeah okay so they added a christmas update where you have a yule festival in your village and since participating in one of the events every time i spawn my character is hammer drunk and it's (laughs) awful (laughs) but uh and it's the weirdest bug but outside of that i was having minimal bug issues and really really engaged with the story and having an awesome time so that's been if I remember right, 42 hours of my last couple weeks. Wow. That's commitment. It's awesome. It's so good. And Uh, you've been been working during the day, right? So that means you're you're logging some pretty serious hours in the evenings. Oh, yeah. My weekends, I have been up until like 2 o'clock just playing (laughs) Valhalla. But, yeah. And I actually think I had been playing it last time we recorded, but hadn't talked about it. So it's, it's been going on a while. But yeah, I've already put in some serious playtime. But I do, coming up, have like 10 days off work, in which time I'm going to catch up on all sorts of movie watching, a bunch of 2020 movies for our, um, let's call it modified year-end episode, because who knows what it's going to look like in 2020. But there are a lot of movies from this year that I want to catch up on, and then I'm just going to spend a lot of time watching movies in general with all this free time. Other than that, that's just about it. So, are we ready to get into Tenet? Haven't so. we already done it? <laughs> oh, you know, God, think dude, about I that. should have started this episode with, thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> this has been another episode of Who the Hell is This For? And we do the entire episode backwards. <laughs> or one of us is doing the episode forwards. Just release it in reverse and tell everyone you have to listen to it backwards. I'm going to re- reverse your audio track, but keep Jeff and I's <laughs> no, going <perfect>. forward. <laughs> and we'll meet in the middle for one moment where it makes sense. How would sex work inverted? <laughs> Let's do a whole inverted section. Yeah. We'll, we'll make that a, its own segment for today. <laughs> I think that's how you get Benjamin Jesus Button. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like a shop vac. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Okay. Let's... Let me top myself off real quick. <laughs> God. Okay, well, I think we did the segment. Yep, we figured it out. <laughs> Hot start, boys. All right, who wants to give a summary of this? According movie? to Rotten Tomatoes. A secret agent embarks on a dangerous time-bending mission to prevent the start of World War III. Well, that's it. That's all you need, right? <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Uh, but for more of a plot synopsis, John David Washington is recruited uh, after a terrorist attack in which he shows he's willing to give his own life, but he doesn't really give his own life, and so he is recruited to join Tenet, this organization, or this just tool... That's really not clear either. Um, 
They live in a society. They live in a society, <laughs> but the society is in the future. And the so and also I, in the past. I do want to clarify things. It's not as hard to understand as people make it out to be. Like if you're into time travel stuff, uh, this actually like kind of tracks. But he just it's just not good. But that's not what we're doing yet. And right. so basically, you did. There are all kinds of time travel adventures. Elizabeth Debicki is tall and has a husband who is bad. <laughs> and I, anytime I can highlight that Elizabeth Debicki is tall, I want to highlight that because I uh, shout out to our friends at Super Yaki Stuff. One of their shirts says, let Elizabeth Debicki be tall, you cowards. <laughs> so have to highlight that. But she's in a bad relationship with Russian Kenneth Branagh, the Shakespearean man himself, uh, who... Gonna get into him. A lot of things happened. They eventually interact with their own missions to uh, gain information and access to what the final mission is going to be, which determines the fate of the world as it would be decided by those way, way in the future. Um, and so they're attempting to prevent that from getting there. So, what? Oh, you know what? We aren't. I, I want to get through the what we like section so quickly that I'm skipping over other things. This is directed by Christopher Nolan, written by Christopher Nolan, produced by Christopher Nolan and Emma Thomas. Uh, made $57.9 million at the box office. Sorry, I just had to move my cat off of my desk. Uh, $57.9 million at the box office, and a lot of that has to do... This movie would have made probably a billion dollars had it released in a normal time. For sure. Right. Because I know going into it, this was my most anticipated movie of 2020 last year. Or one of them. Um, and the cast, John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Kenneth Branagh, Dimple Capadia, and Aaron Taylor Johnson are your top billing in here. Oh, that is Aaron Taylor Johnson. It okay. is, right? <laughs> Partway through, I was like, is that Aaron Taylor yeah. Johnson? ATJ? Yeah. Old kick-ass himself. <laughs> How, when did you guys realize that Aaron Taylor Johnson was kick-ass? I, I think I the know. whole time. I see. I I had no like frame of reference for him, and when at the time that I watched Kick Ass, what else would people know Aaron Taylor Johnson from? Uh, Marvel, Age of Ultron, Quicksilver. Ah, there we go. Thank you. I'm sure he's got Something some other else too. Yeah, he's got other stuff to his name, but I could not tell you what it is right now. People are oh, screaming like, at their mic or he our looks mic. Like a... They're probably already uh, screaming because we've given away that we think this movie is bad. Yeah. <laughs> he looks uh, like oh. Anton Yelchin. See, actually. I, I do not see that at all. I think he looks like Logan Marshall Green. Oh, look don't at tell his, me. Don't tell look me. Look at his Wikipedia spells, picture. How do you spell his name? Don't tell me it's some dumb spelling of Aaron. No, it is literally Aaron Taylor a. A. Johnson. Yeah. Is it A.A. Ron? It didn't pop up yeah. on Letterboxd. Oh, probably because I was in her movies or something. Yeah. Oh, classic letterbox mistake. We've all been there. Let's let's bring it back in. And so one of our rotten reviews comes from Tim Cogshell uh, at Film Week, KPCC NPR Los Angeles. Christopher Nolan is very clever, but mostly irritating is what I find. His movies are not cerebral, they're fake cerebral, and he doesn't even do the time travel right. Nailed it. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, where's the lie? But before we really talk about how we feel about that. Let's talk about what we liked about this movie. Uh, who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first. So for all its flaws, um, I feel like if you, if you turn your brain off, especially once you get to the halfway point of this movie, it becomes really fun, right? Like then it just kind of becomes a straight action movie. Mm -hmm. The fight choreography is really good. The chase scenes are really good. They do a heist in the middle of the movie, which, as you know, appeals to me greatly. <laughs> um, you can also tell, like, Nolan in a bunch of his movies does a ton of heat callbacks. Uh, I know we're going to talk about one later with The Dark Knight. Um, but as someone who has heat in their top five movies, um, I love anything where Nolan keeps, like, throwing back to it. Um, and so there are pieces within this movie, definitely in the... Um, fire truck scene where they're like smashing in the cars where that has like huge callbacks to heat and other movies that Nolan really pulls from. So it would probably be a lot portions, better if instead he was calling back to Manhunter. 
I love that basically every episode we have a fight about Michael Mann through someone else's movies. <laughs> and which one <laughs> of us has better taste in Michael Mann movies, basically. We, it's really, it's been a running joke in our group text, but eventually this is just going to become the Michael, Michael Mann podcast. <laughs> Anyways, I, I mean, I do think when this, when this movie gets over itself, um, it gets a lot better. There are a couple of reviews on Letterboxd that I had thought had really good like things to say about this. Um, and one of those comes from Shane McAvoy, who basically said, like, once you get into the action, it actually explains the time travel a lot better it's than when so they're just talking well about explained it. It's so well explained in the action scenes. Right. Like, once you see them go into the turnstile, once you see it actually executed, you're like, oh, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not that bad. But it's mm-hmm. all the exposition that takes place beforehand where it's like, no, no, they won't get it if I don't explain it. That really bogs this movie down. If you just cut out the, like, you know, Robert Pattinson being Christopher Nolan explaining to a hot girl how time travel works, then the movie works a lot better. How many so, of those conversations do you think Nolan has had in real life and is pulling from direct experience? <laughs> Clearly enough that he wants to continue doing it in his movies. Um, but I mean, I think, like you said, like once you once you get into the second half of this movie, the action is really really good. Um, Pattinson gets a lot less wooden um, in yeah. the second half of this movie, which we'll talk about in the next section as well. Um, Almost exactly 90 minutes. At the moment that John David Washington goes through the turnstile, this becomes a much better movie, like astronomically better movie. Mm-hmm. But the only problem is that that's only your final hour you get to do that with. Mm-hmm. So you've wasted over half your movie when you... The stuff you show in the final hour here is some of the most groundbreaking and incredible action and, and sci-fi action that I've ever seen. Like, it's it's such a weird movie for it to be something that I dislike so much at first, but once it really finds its footing, I think it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? What did you, what did you guys like about this movie? Well, you mentioned... I'm, I'm currently trying to find this. I forgot all about this internet dive I wanted to do, but something I noticed in the fight choreography, and I don't know if it's just because my brain knows it's Christopher Nolan is why I thought it was similar, but I am right now 80% sure that the guy that did the fight choreography for this movie also did it for The Dark Knight because I noticed while I was watching this movie, uh, a lot of John David Washington's fighting mannerisms really resembled... Uh, Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of the blows that he used. So I'm trying to figure that out that kitchen did... fight um, when he is. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. It, it's when he's supposed to be getting bumped off by uh, Kenneth Branagh's men. Right. Kitchen fight is so good. It's unbelievably well crafted, and it's just a straight action fight or like action scene with great fight choreography. This is. Probably the best fight scene involving a cheese grater you've ever seen. Oh, man. Oh, my that was God. Brutal. What a moment. <laughs> I think that's that may be when the movie actually takes off. Because that's oh, like Oh, it's not first... nearly enough for me. Like, when, it's awesome. I don't know how far off that is from the 90-minute mark. But, like, that that's probably the first great moment in the movie. The, the opening okay, is, so the my note about the kitchen fight happens around, like, a quarter way through my notes. And then I am in like the final, beyond the final quarter of my notes before it says it finds its footing. <laughs> what else the, do you like? The score is very good in here. Uh, it's good, but I would have hated watching this in the theater. I feel like my ears would have definitely been blown out. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's a whole other thing. Especially in the like first opening scene. I remember starting the movie and like, oh, this is loud. <laughs> well... Attempting to attempting to watch this at the drive-in with a non-functioning radio station and trying to hear it over other people's cars, it was a disaster, and we had to oh, leave yeah. after 30 minutes. I didn't have as many problems with the audio as I expected from what everyone else has said, um, and it might be because I was so distracted by some other elements of the filmmaking process, which we'll talk about later. But I do want to say... Visually, this is incredibly stunning. And Nolan Nolan does spectacle, but not in the way that Marvel or Star Wars do spectacle. Right. Nolan truly, he, and I mean, I need to check who his director of photography is, and 
you know, how much credit they deserve, which I imagine is a lot. But Nolan is somebody who has an idea of what he wants his movie to look like, and he achieves that. And it is, it's a very good. He makes beautiful films. I think the only, the only problem I have with Nolan's visual style, and I think it may be a personal problem, which is that I have now seen so many Nolan films that you you get to be used to like what his films look like, and then you're like, this just looks like every other mm-hmm. Nolan right. film. I, Which is probably a thing that happens to, like, when you've seen a lot of, like, you know, keep talking about Michael Mann, right? There's mm-hmm. themes that follow each one of these directors. Well, and I was going to bring up John Carpenter. Um, yeah. Because of his work with Dean Cundey, he has a very signature visual style. And I think the difference between Carpenter and Nolan is that Carpenter, he, Carpenter was Carpenter. He was punk rock, small budget filmmaking for a, a lot of his career. And so sometimes people tried to emulate him but not people on the massive scale. Nolan makes massive blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. And now Nolan has the style that everyone else is trying to make their movies look like. And so now all of these movies look the same. Whereas Nolan has really done a lot to make his movies look the way they do. Everyone else is also trying that. And so now we're getting just a lot of homogeny in the visual style of movies. Right. Which is a good point, And it's not really Nolan's fault. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we, we're kind of bleeding into the next section a little bit, but no, we were already on the subject, so I might as well get into it. Let we me, talked a let lot me about... check and see if there are any notes I have. Okay, okay. I okay. The one of the few things that I think or not a few things. I'm really tipping my hand. I think a couple story beats here are really good, such as the twist of Priya revealing that, uh, like she's the person to talk to, not her husband. Um, when they scale the high rise in India, uh, I thought that was, I should have seen it coming. I didn't. That was a nice twist. That was fun. Um, when she's just like, when she drops the tenant thing and puts mm-hmm. her hands together, I was like, oh, okay, there we go. And I liked that. I liked that bit. And then I also really liked the reveal that the other woman diving off the boat that um, Elizabeth Debicki had been so jealous of and so just furious about seeing that other woman dive off the boat and seeing how free she was, she was seeing herself after killing Seder and freeing herself. So I mm-hmm. thought that was a really, really strong point of the narrative. Agree. Now, anything else? No. All right. <laughs> what don't we like about this movie? Ty, go ahead. Okay. Point number one, the biggest issue I have with this movie is that this is abysmal editing. It's The editing is such a disaster, and not even... Because I looked it up afterwards, and you guys would be shocked to find out who edited this movie. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. The Because Christopher Nolan, he was talking to his editor and reportedly kept saying, oh, this will be the hardest movie you ever edit, hardest thing you'll ever do in editing. This is going to be such an insane movie to edit. And the, the editing in the action scenes and any of the time or the reverse chronology stuff, anything with that, the editing is fine. But what does this has some of the most abysmal, just conversational editing of people doing nothing. I timed the scene or I took a minute out of that scene with Michael Caine and uh, John David Washington when they're having lunch. Within 60 seconds, there were 25 cuts and I might have missed a couple. It's it was unbelievable. See, I noticed it even more in the next dinner conversation. The oh no, it, and that. it was still there too. I just I noticed like, I even was like, more cuts in that one. I I yeah, it was awful. But it it was around that time that I was like, there is something awful happening with these cuts. So I'm just gonna count. I'm and I'd been complaining about it to you guys, to our friends Brendan and Greg, uh, respectively at Debates on Taps and First Issue Club. I've been complaining to them about how bad the editing was and how many cuts there were. And then it continued and continued and kept going. I was like, okay, finally, I'm just going to time this and see. Just unbelievable. Oh, uh, the, uh, the editor. This had the same editor as Hereditary. Huh. Which Hereditary is known for its intense holding upon a single scene. Yeah, lingering. Extreme lingering long shots of people talking. Right. So what happened here? <laughs> it's like 
It's like they took a handful of Adderall because Nolan hyped him up about the time travel. <laughs> they did all that editing first, and they're like, okay, now do the talking. And they're like, fuck yeah, edit, 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 edit. <laughs> cut, 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 cut. Quick cut, quick cut, quick cut. <laughs> that has to have something to do with it. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, Nolan in, just psyched him out. Because you can't even say it's like for effect, right? It's no. a conversation. It's not It's, it's not an action it's sequence. Like, it's like makes, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I yeah. have that in my notes. The scene that everybody was sharing when Bohemian Rhapsody was up for all its Oscars, that's the same thing. That's the exact same thing as what we're ha- we have in Tenet here. Like, yeah. it's abysmal. Well, and especially like a conversation, and when you have people who are supposed to be chewing scenery, right? Like Michael Caine is like, fuck it. I'm in this movie for 90 seconds. I'm just going to like be Michael Caine as much as I possibly can be. And I don't say like Michael as the character's name (laughs) and they make an emphasis to call him Sir Michael. And it's like so on the nose that it's just bad. Yeah. But anyways, they have him in there and it's like, if you're going to do that, then, then do the long shot where they like actually get to act the whole time. It just seems like they did that. And then they're like, fuck it, cutting back and forth. You know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. must've done like a cam on John David Washington and a cam on Michael Caine. And it's like, do one cut, do two cuts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just, I don't know. And I know you guys have some thoughts about this as well. So I'll kind of use it to segue. Uh, beyond the editing, the dialogue itself in this movie is Ugh. horrible. It's pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad. I mean, so much of it is like, and I said this early. I said this at the same time that I also wrote down Robert Pattinson's Stop Sweating Challenge 2021 because he was <laughs> so sweaty in this movie. Um, but so much of the dialogue is generic, edgelordy, tough action guy talk. And it's so I bad. mean, that's what Christopher Nolan kind of is. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I realized we were talking about it off mic. That's why I don't like The Dark Knight. And I realized that rewatching it last year. I I will I will give you that the worst part of the Dark Knight or any Nolan movie is the dialogue. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Does, and we'll talk Christopher, about this a little later. It's why I haven't rewatched Inception, because I really liked Inception. Yeah. See, and the problem is like I wonder I was looking back through it and I think for every movie that he's a director, Christopher Nolan is also the writer. Yeah. And so it's like, I wonder how he would do in a film where he doesn't write it and he just is doing everything else. If he has someone else's dialogue, I bet it's phenomenal. Well, I like mean, I yeah, look, at, look at Interstellar. Like, that's a, that's a uh, like visually stunning one. But then you get Anne Hathaway's whole love monologue. Yeah. And how it's a force. It triumphs physics or whatever she was talking about. It's not great. <laughs> I was looking through, oh, I found one. Do you know what he directed but did not write? And it's fucking no. fantastic. Insomnia. Really? <laughs> Once again, Insomnia makes an appearance on the podcast. <laughs> it's getting up there with Manhunter for our most often referenced movie. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, I mean, I think writ large, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we love about Nolan movies. And there's a lot of stuff that is a little bit embarrassing about Nolan mm-hmm. movies. We were talking about this off mic and now seems like a good time as any to kind of talk about it. But, yeah. um, you know, Nolan kind of came, came of age into his directing career basically around the time that we were getting into movies. Uh, yeah. Following came out in 1998. Um, Batman Begins comes out in 2005. Memento came when out, did, in, okay, I was Memento came out in 2000. Memento. Okay. In 2000. So, like, enough that, like, when we were really getting into movies, we were watching a, a couple old Nolan movies, and then everything else that came out, like, was when we were, you know, teens, early 20s, etc. So, like, we've kind of grown up with a lot of Nolan movies. So, mm-hmm. a lot of you guys our age really like Christopher Nolan movies. Um, and I think what we're really finding out, or, or at least I'll say this, Tenet is all of the things that Nolan films fuck up right but it, because there's less good things about it or because it fucks up for so long before it gets good that's where we're all like oh man there's a lot of problems with nolan movies in general right mm-hmm. and that's and such Tenet a good is probably way to describe it tenant is kind of 
all the lows of a Nolan movie and all the highs. It's everything about Christopher Nolan wrapped into a single movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's there's nothing to temper it in either direction. Right. Um, before we move on from the dialogue, there are a couple specific lines that I want to point out. Uh, one is uh, the threat from uh, Kenneth Branagh's Russian villain where he says, I'm going to cut your throat, not across, in the middle, like a hole, and we're going to cut your balls off and shove them in the hole. And I'm like, what is happening Man, here? that was definitely written by an angry 18-year-old. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> middle school dialogue at best. Um, then uh, the part where uh, following the uh, vault and the airplane stuff, uh, Pattinson and John David Washington are talking, and John David Washington says... I thought we'd find a drawing and a couple boxes of bullets. And Pattinson says, not as surprised as I was, as though they are reading two completely different scripts. And then the one that blew up our group chat when Jeff finally hit it was when everything is explained to Elizabeth Debicki's character about how the world is going to end if this succeeds and everything and everyone will be destroyed. And she says, including my son, Yes. No, actually he's immune to this. <laughs> She's like, I was I was fine with it until I realized maybe me too, maybe my son too. We gotta do something about this. Yeah. Why aren't people talking about this? <laughs> This is like that uh, community screen grab where she's like, I can excuse some racism, but not this. And Shirley's <laughs> well, like, no, you can excuse I, racism? I can excuse racism, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. <laughs> 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 Which is so fitting for this, just what that line was. Right. Oh, my God. And, oh, man, some of the just one-off notes I have in here were also the... Uh, Christopher Nolan, continue a shot for longer than three seconds challenge. That was my second <laughs> note. Um, Pattinson's accent in here, and he so he is English, but he sounds like a person faking an English accent in this mm-hmm. movie. Okay, we need, to, we need to go and listen to some interviews, I think, because I'm wondering if he's been in the States long enough that he lost his accent and then tried well, to run it back. It and is. he's been, done so many other just insane accents that his brain must just be broken now. Because he did The Lighthouse, he did Devil All the Time. Like, this is probably what he now thinks somebody from England sounds like, or what he sounded like as a child. I wondered if he was trying to channel what Christopher Nolan sounds like. Is Nolan English? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, all right. That's what he's Come doing. Come on. <laughs> oh, my God. Nolan is giving him notes and saying, no, I wouldn't say it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I say in here, and this is a great, a great transition. I also have in here a note that says, guys, I might dislike Christopher Nolan, followed immediately by, I would rather be watching Mission Impossible Fallout, followed by, <laughs> how can a two and a half hour movie feel rushed, followed by, Rise of Skywalker ass pacing. <laughs> yes. I think those are all accurate. Yeah. All good points. I don't think I really like Nolan. I think, like, is now also a good time to talk about how Nolan always makes his protagonists look like him and sound like him and act and like him. And he tries to yeah, make John David Washington Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> I could really see it. They look exactly the same. He's Kenneth Branagh in this one. <laughs> <laughs> More like Kenneth Branagh. Oh see what gosh. he's packing? No, but I was just, I was laughing at that Robert Pattinson is... Uh, gets to be an action hero. He gets to be the smart one that knows what's going on. He gets to be the one that's explaining to Elizabeth Debicki like what is going on. He's like, "Let me break it down for you, hot woman in need." Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard there's a theory that Pattinson is Elizabeth Debicki's son from the future, but apparently it's also been debunked. But it was widely held on the internet for a while. I don't know. With all the quote, with all the quote unquote twists in this movie, that wouldn't surprise me that Nolan tried to pull that off. You know what, Riley? I'm going to give you the floor because you like that's that's your feeling because that was your main complaint. It's just so exhausting that this (laughs) big brain Nolan guy goes through this movie, and the longer the movie goes, we go back to different points, and it's 
oh my god, that was us the whole time. <laughs> well, so and it happens I like think... six different times, and it's like he expects us to be mind blown each time. Like, okay, we get it. They went back in time. Time travel is the key of this movie. We get it. <laughs> I, I God. Think he just, this is what happens when he can't make a movie about dead wives. So he goes back to a whole other playbook. <sighs> there's, a, there's a really good letterbox review. I know we're not doing rotten reviews, but there was a really good one. Let me find it one second. Hello, my name is Christopher Nolan. Welcome to Masterclass. Today I'll be discussing how I add emotional depth to my characters. First I add woman, then I add child, and we're done. Thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I have a note in here that said, Christopher Nolan said, can't make a movie about dead wives? Fine, I'll just make one live in constant fear of physical violence. <laughs> That's another thing. So it felt so exploitative and gross and unnerving. Just, I don't know. And I've, I've seen a lot of movies, and this can be something that bothers me in some movies, but it really stuck out as being out of place, tonally jarring, and just uncomfortable. The scenes with Kenneth Branagh and um, Elizabeth Debicki on the boat after John David Washington gets there, I believe that's on a boat, um, where he begins to threaten her made me so viscerally uncomfortable. And like, I, I wanted to skip ahead. I couldn't sit there watching it. It was so, it, it, it feels like Nolan thinks this is how I make a, a, you know, it's like he heard the criticism of giving all his characters a dead wife. And it's like, this is how I make this character engaging and moving and impactful. And really it just felt so cheap and exploitative and just a gross. Yeah. It just, Oh, there are so many issues with this movie. And it really, like you said, it's all of the lows of Christopher Nolan. Oh, back onto my twist issue with this movie. He did the same thing in Interstellar. We find out mm -hmm. that Matthew McConaughey created the wormhole or, you know, he was the reason they found the wormhole. So it was all a big circle. And he mm -hmm. just does the same goddamn thing in this movie. Just little mini versions of that. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Christopher Nolan, don't make a movie about time travel challenge. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to our standout scenes. And I'm I'm going to start this off because I I didn't mention this in what the movie does right um, or what I like about the movie, but what what I think this movie is really strong, really is highlighted by the RPG explosion of the building in the yeah. final battle where you cool. have one team going forward, one team going backwards at the point where this movie has explained its rules and explains how it works. And it's so clear. It's very easy to understand for the obvious or for the audience. And then when, when they both hit that five minute mark or whatever it is, and they, one blast the top, one blast the bottom, going in opposite directions through the time stream. Fantastic. And so just that whole that whole back and forth of the forward and backwards in that final raid um, on the dig site, fantastic. I think that is the true highlight of this movie. Yeah, I would have to agree. It's really hard to pick much else. Um, honorable mention, I've already talked about it, is the like when they're all moving in traffic heist scene. There's not yeah. really anything new about it. It's just fucking cool. Um, but I agree that, like, especially just once the movie gets to the turnstiles and gets to the point where they're actually doing action backwards, that's when this movie gets really, really good and it's worth your time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I would yeah. still, you know what I mean? Like, I would still tell people who like Nolan or action movies or whatever to see this movie, but there's just a huge disclaimer. It's just like, not going to be your favorite movie. Yeah. yeah, you're just going to be bored until you get to the good part. Which and it's it's frustrating that this movie could have been all that. It could have been right. this, the final hour could have also been the preceding 90 minutes. But I, right. I got out of the movie thinking, you know, I could have watched Evil Dead 2013 and then also still just thrown on the last hour and had a much better time with my evening. You know, this honestly might be a kind of movie that I only watch part of. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, I don't know. Let's just go ahead and throw on the last hour of Tenet and just watch that, which I know is a weird way to watch movies and, and not everybody likes it that way, but I don't know. If, if that's the only part that's good, yeah. let's not waste our time. Yeah, it's like watching Jaws. 
I knew you were going to say that, and I'm ready to throw hands. Fucking Don't you God. ever compare Jaws to this movie. <laughs> Christopher Give me Nolan John rebooting David Washington. Jaws. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You see, it's a giant shark. <laughs> God, the, the Indianapolis monologue directed by Nolan would be a disaster. Oh, just the, at the table. Yeah. Jumping between all three of them. Yeah. That should be our draft. Quint movies to Hooper be... to Brody. Back to Ro- Hooper to Brody that Christopher to Christopher Nolan would ruin. <laughs> yeah, let's we got it. I'm in. I'm in for that. All right. All right. Uh, I know Jeff agreed. Riley, are you also on board with that? Yeah. Um, I think my honorable mention was right when he, kind of the same thing, uh, right when John David Washington comes through the turnstile. And it's kind of, it's almost like like a... It's kind of like a video game intro, almost the way they do the tracking shot with us, and you like are entered into this different world that we haven't like fully experienced. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. That's such a good way to describe it. It gives me the same vibes, very very different things. But now, like that, you've said that. All I can think of is the intro to Halo Two. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so letdown scenes. And uh, I've I've already talked about mine just because while some of the editing was worse in other areas, the point that made me stop and time and count how many cuts there were, it has to go to the lunch scene. Even with because it's a waste of Michael Caine too. Yeah. So not only are you wasting Michael Caine, but you're cutting a thousand times in this like five minute sequence. It's just awful. Yeah, I gotta agree. I mean, you have, like, a Nolan MVP, and he's just wasted. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, honorable mention to any scene that he calls himself the protagonist in. <laughs> have we touched on that yet? I don't think so. I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor on that. Just That's really all I have to say about it, is that, obviously... So, first of all, I knew that coming into this movie that that was the character's name. Mm -hmm, Also, if you watch a movie with subtitles, it says protagonist Mm -hmm. instead of his name. Um, And, like, (laughs) I don't know. In another movie, I feel like it could be clever. But in this movie, it just feels like another dumb, ham-fisted thing that's just like, hey, also, not only does this movie have backwards time travel, the character doesn't have a name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Old no name. But when he's like, oh, I'm the protagonist, and then he calls the other people that are against him antagonists, it's like, holy fuck. Like, what kind of fucking sophomore, like, screenwriting but, but film do you class get it? bullshit but, like, is Do you this? get it? <laughs> is Christopher Nolan divorced? It has to be. <laughs> has to be. <laughs> I feel like Christopher Nolan lives in just the, like, the ultimate bachelor pad. But not in, like, a cool way. No. He lives in, uh, you, you're ready again uh, for another reference? He lives in uh, Francis Dollarhide's house from Manhunter. <laughs> I just imagine you walk into Christopher Nolan's apartment and there's no furniture, but there's a giant projector and like one lazy chair. And he's like, this is how I watch films. Like just by himself. And actually this sounds like a pretty cool apartment. But what I'm saying is like, <laughs> it's just, there's nothing much else going on there. Anyways, we don't have to keep dunking on Christopher Nolan. Well, um, so there, Emma Thomas is his wife. Okay. Um, and so I also found that there was a rumor last updated tomorrow. Oh, this is a London like gossip rag. That's why the date updated. Tomorrow. That's why the date was December twenty third. Um, <laughs> that said, breakup <laughs> rumors is Christopher Nolan single again? Also, because he was spotted alone. <laughs> and then also another one uh that says death hoax says christopher nolan dies at 50 and christopher nolan to be a dad all of these were this week the clone conspiracy with christopher nolan (laughs) okay let's let's do our domnal gleason Gleason. i i forgot his first name and i don't know what name i was going for here uh, I was thinking Jeremy Gleason, who appears to be an endocrinologist <laughs> in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Easily, easily yeah, a mistake. You know, those they mix up. 
what do patients say about Jeremy M. Gleason? Oh, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, he accepts insurance. Does he offer telehealth? <laughs> call him for telehealth information. Let's call him. <laughs> Jeremy, you're out with the mm, pod. Reviews. <laughs> the doctor did not address my concerns about possible causes of condition. <laughs> this is now the Jeremy Gleason Award. <laughs> That was our first ad. <laughs> what? We torpedoed it. It was awful. We owe him two more. <laughs> we, we signed on. <laughs> All right. Who is your Jeremy Gleason Award? Um, let's see, who was the worst doctor in this movie? <laughs> Does Nolan have a PhD? <laughs> no, no, if Christopher Nolan had a PhD, we would for sure know Oh, yeah, it. true. He would never let us forget. Um, he has an honorary my, doctorate. Ugh, that's even worse. <laughs> uh, my Jeremy Gleason Award. Okay, I'm going to go with Kenneth Branagh, because I... I think he could have been a better villain. He could have. Is what I wanted to see Kenneth Branagh is an incredible actor. Right. So I think we could have gotten so much of a better villain than what we got. And right in this movie, he's he's a knockoff of Andy Serkis' character in Black Panther. Right. That's a pretty good, pretty good comparison. Just awful. And he, God, he could have been so much better. I'm with you. I will say, honorable mention for me, Give me more Pattinson, but less of Nolan trying to insert himself into the character. Yeah, I think, again, we talked about the last hour of this movie. Like, I, you only end up caring about these characters in the final piece. They're like, oh, they were friends the whole time. Like, they've known each other forever. He's going off to die. <laughs> like, give them some emotional yeah. depth throughout the movie, right? And we know, like, John David Washington is fairly charming in yeah, black okay Klansman. i want i texted you guys about that and i wanted to bring that up here because john david washington we know he can be charismatic and charming and like i want a, ever again to see him as charming as he was in the scene where he tricks david duke while taking a picture with him and he puts his arm around him and puts the big smile on his face like that is incredibly charming and charismatic and so likable and none of that was here in this movie you know what this movie is? This movie is... A technical demo? A Dan- No, this movie is a Daniel Craig Bond movie with a Roger Moore plot. Wow. Oh my Nailed god. It. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they're trying to be serious, and it's like, honestly, if they would have been a little bit goofier, you know what I mean? Or like, I'm not saying making an action comedy, right? But like, like there's like two jokes in this, right? Where he like does the... Um, the pat down, he's like, oh, buy me dinner first. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but, like, there's there's none of that the entire rest of the movie. Like, let John David Washington be, like, a little bit charming, right? And this movie is, like, totally mm-hmm. different. Or, like, if they have, again, not an action comedy, but if they have a little bit more of, like, a biting at each other repertoire think, type of I thing. I think so much of that, that has <clears throat> to do with Nolan wanting his surrogate character to be the cool one. And yeah. As, as a result, John David Washington comes out boring because of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Let's... I don't know who my Gleason Award is. I guess yeah. Pattinson. Uh, excuse me, your official Jeremy Gleason Award. Jeremy yes. Gleason Award is Robert Pattinson. Okay. I think we've hit our three for the episode, <laughs> too. Um, pay us, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> let's find him on twitter <laughs> tag him okay let's go ahead and do our draft oh my god what did i do Ty, you i am there? here i put my hands together and like similar to the tenant thing but just touched my fingertips together and skype just closed on my phone <laughs> but i'm here oh shit all right apparently i'm also part of this organization Anyway, society. society. I am the protagonist. Uh, 
<laughs> movies, I was originally going to have us do a film bro movie draft, but I couldn't find a good top ten list. So instead, we are going to do three movies that Christopher Nolan would ruin if he were the director. Should we go... Should we go random ge- number generator? Or do we think we'll have a... Yeah. Okay. Let me pull up our trusty, official Jeremy Gleason random number generator. <laughs> Are we doing... We're doing three? Yes. And one through... Number one through ten. Give me a number. Eight. And four. I will pick six. It's four. So we will go me... Or Jeff, me, Riley. All right, a movie that Christopher Nolan would ruin if he was given a chance to direct it. Uh, first pick in the draft, Babe in the Pig, Big City. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture the exact same movie with the score being different and Babe explaining how he's able to talk. For Just the, the Hans Zimmer Blah, over the ah, shot of ah, some pig. Oh, wait, that's Charlotte's <laughs> Web. <laughs> I give my pig movies. That'll confused. do, pigs. Robert Pattinson is the farmer. <laughs> Michael Caine is the voice. God, Michael Caine is a talking pig. You're really selling me on this movie, actually, man. Yeah, actually, I don't <laughs> think he would. It might not be that bad. <laughs> All right. So my pick, I am going to go with, for my first pick, you guys ever, you, you remember that movie I really liked last year? Can you imagine Christopher Nolan directing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> uh, no, because I've never seen it. You've never seen it? I cannot, ima- I, I cannot I imagine I thought you that. had. Huh. Interesting. But... It's the same length of time. I gotta say, with as high a review as you've given it, I, there's no way that it can live up to Absolutely the expectation. Absolutely not. You've no, there, there's no way you end up liking it that much. But my main point for that is because it's so dialogue driven. And oh God. yeah, can you imagine Nolan having to write that much dialogue <laughs> for this movie? There'd have to be an epilepsy warning at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Ooh, I have a good second pick. Riley, you're up. Okay, so I was originally going to go with the original of this movie, but instead I'm going to go with Back to the Future Part 2. Oh, no. (laughs) Because Back to the Future makes time travel so simple to understand, and they do it fine, and it's a lighthearted movie. It's great. Christopher Nolan would go in and make everything a nightmare in this movie. Uh, in terms of going back to the original timeline, going back to the future with Biff as the as Donald Trump, uh, yeah, it would just be a mess. It would be a worse time travel movie than this. Yeah, Hundo P. Jeff, your pick, number two. <clears throat> All right, my number two pick for movies that Christopher Nolan would ruin is The Purge, huh. because then we're just going to get sixty plus minutes of exposition of why the purge exists and then it's gonna it's gonna look exactly the same uh ethan hawk will still be great but everything else about it will be terrible (laughs) all right so my second pick you know we love movies with like crime movies with some comedy lightheartedness good action and i can just imagine nolan completely ruining the nice guys and making oh. that movie take itself so unbelievably seriously. That one makes me sad. <laughs> Even just to think about it. Yeah. And what a it's wonderful so movie. Good. That I is. love that movie. Riley, your pick. Oh, back, back to, to me. You. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Yeah, he just he would just ruin it. Just perfectly take out all ex- the neon. Perfectly executed movie and he would make it worse. All right. My final pick for a movie that Christopher Nolan would ruin is We Bought a Zoo. (laughs) Perfect. It sells itself. Don't even need to explain the pick. Ooh. Okay. I've been going a lot of recent or mostly recent movies. 
for my second or my last pick, I'm going to go with Knives Out. Oh, which yeah. That's a good pick. Nolan yeah, would definitely. Nolan would ham fist every single one of those twists and take all of the charisma out of every single one of those incredibly charismatic and charming actors in that movie and just make it such a boring and drab like character study of all these people. And then wrap us up, Riley. Uh, I'm going to go with a a movie that's very highly rated on the pod. Uh, I'm going to say Midsommar. I debated it. I debated picking that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, would that be a train wreck? Awful. It's when they're breathing. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, instead it just becomes, just a mouth open, droning. (laughs) All right. Just a, a million slash cuts when they're jumping oh. off the cliff. <laughs> Honorable mention, Castaway. Wow. <laughs> Conversations <laughs> between him and Wilson just back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, let's wrap up with ratings, and then let's get out of here. Or we'll talk about what's next, because we've got exciting things for the next episode. I don't know if you guys realize it. We're going to talk about it all together, but... Let's go ratings. Same order, uh, Jeff, me, Riley. All right. This movie is really tough because you're rating the whole movie. Uh, If we're breaking it into two pieces, I think the first half is two stars and the final hour is four. And so that's where I think I'm going to land at a three um, overall. Probably a little bit charitable, but when you take into account the final end, it's a very mediocre movie overall for me. And... Kind of on the same vein, I so I watched this movie and I gave it a six originally. But the more we talk about a out six out of ten originally, which would have been three out of five stars on Letterboxd. Oh yeah, sorry, mine is yeah, sorry, mine is also a six out of yeah. ten, a three out of And that's five. where I landed originally because I was fresh off that final hour of the movie, which I really liked, but the more I think about it, that first hour and a half, which is over half the movie, is so awful and just so incredibly bad and that even though the final hour is so incredible, if it were, even if it were a 10, you know, it's one or a two for the first half. So I've got to go, like, this is just a straight down the middle five. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you guys have pretty much said it all, but, yeah, I just, this movie's just, it's cool. Like, yeah, it's. Just like, it's kind of a, yeah, we get it, Christopher Nolan. Yep, <laughs> we get it. Uh, I went with a six and a half. Ugh. Dropped my phone. But yeah, if you hear that typing in the background, it's me updating my letterbox review to drop it down to a two <laughs> and a half stars. Um, so our next episode, we'll be recording in, an, this will release next Tuesday, next week, and this will record, we'll record again after that. And that's going to be right at the beginning of 2021. So, boys, it is time for our 2020 in review episode. So start looking at some uh, some top 10 lists and things that we want to make sure we've seen through 2020. And uh, we'll be getting back together around then to record our thoughts on 2020 as a whole and probably come up with some different categories since a lot of ours no longer apply this year. Yeah, we probably need to find something that's you know, going to win awards yeah, <laughs> and try to watch something along those lines. Probably so. Unless we think Mulan is just going to clean sweep everything. <laughs> well, you do have until, what is it? March or Yeah, April I was going to say Oscars year, now are they, delayed. They moved it. But more, I was thinking our, uh, you know, talking about best theater experience and things like that about movies we've seen this year. <laughs> those are kind of out the window. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think no, I'm I going for it one... in this week. <laughs> no mask. I think I only have one. I think I only have one theater experience this entire year. Um, I have. I have to go back and look, but I can only think. I have of a few. One. one of them was Little Women, which ruled. One was Bad Boys for Life. So right now, that's the front runner for me. <laughs> well, the last movie I saw in theaters was My My Hero Academia: Two Heroes, <laughs> or no, Heroes Rising. <laughs> 
which would be incredibly on brand if that were my best theater experience uh, of the year. Oh yeah, no, it's it is Bad Boys for Life is the only one in 2020 that I saw in theaters. All right, well, start thinking a little bit more about that, and we will get into it next episode with our 2020 in review. This has been another episode of Who the Hell Is This For? Thank you all for listening. 